Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, good morning. I'm so glad that y'all are here this morning. I am pumped about the fact that I'm not preaching. And so, and I'm excited about who is. And so, um, if you walked in here and you didn't know what you got into, uh, we're doing the first thing. We, we've never done this before. It's called Young Communicators Weekend. And like Cutie said, uh, we have five people who are about to take the mic and they're going to preach for five minutes each. And in the sec- second service, it's a different set of five. And so it's going to be a, a really, really good time. And so I'm very excited about that. And we have no further ado. The clock is running, not running. And uh, I want to invite up here Mauricio Franco Jr. Good morning, Celebration Church. You guys doing all right since today? Good, good, good. Amanda, well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right in. We're going to be in the book of Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 34. Mark, chapter 5, verse 34. And this is actually Jesus speaking to the woman who we identify as. The woman with the issue of blood. And this is what he says to her. Mark chapter 5 verse 34. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Read it one more time. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, as I read this passage, the the big thought that I want to hone in on today is actually a question. And that question from me to you today is simply, who are you? Who are you? You see, I found myself asking that question from time to time, especially last year, walking and talking and shopping in New York City. Keenan had got asked to preach over there, and he invited me to tag along. And we, you know, when you get a chance to get out of San Angelo, you have to go shopping. You know what I mean? You understand. We're on Fifth Avenue. We're walking the streets. We're strolling along. And I'm like, how am I on Fifth Avenue? How did I end up here? You know? I'm just this little Mexican boy from West Texas. You know what I mean? Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Well, anyways, we're strolling along. And we get to the store that Keenan wants to buy these boots from. He's on a mission. We get to the store. And and the door's right there. And before I walk in, I look up, and I'm trying to understand what this is. And I see YSL, St. Laurent. What in the world is this? You know what I mean? I don't know what this clothes is. You know what I mean? My grandma used to buy me underwears from <laughs> garage sales, and that's what I grew up on. You know what I'm saying? So I walk in, and to my surprise, I see the most beautiful store I've ever been into. The most beautiful store. I walk in. The walls are mirrored glass. The floor is mirrored glass. The elevator's mirrored glass, and even the staircase is mirrored glass. We make our way to the top floor where the shoe department is. Kenan's over there making a deal. Me and the other guys are hanging out back here taking pictures and whatnot. We're we're having a good time. And all of a sudden, this woman walks up to me. She's an employee there. She has a platter. She has uh, a glass of fancy water. And she asks me, would you like some water? And I look at her, and I'm contemplating my head. Do I say yes? Do I say no? Maybe so. You know, the last thing I want to do is pay $75 for a a sip of water. You know what I mean? I barely want to pay 75 cents for a bottle of water. You know what I mean? Where I come from, I'm used to that water hose life. You know what I mean? You remember playing. Yeah, you remember playing hide-and-go-seek and tag, chugging it good. It tastes like milk half the time. But, hey, you got to do what you got to do to stay hydrated. So we're there, and I'm looking at her, and I I, I ask her. I said, well, how, how much is it? And she looks at me, and she's like, it's free. <laughs> and I'm, the guys are laughing, and we're, we're, I'm just like, I look at her, and I say, well, of course it is. You know, I need that. I'd love, I'd love some. She gives me some, and the guys get some. We toast. We have a good time. And we look now, and I can laugh back at that store. But you know the truth is, is that the whole time I was there, I felt a little uncomfortable. I felt a little out of place. In a sense, if I can be honest, like I didn't belong, like I was unworthy and just not good enough to even have a sip of water. And that that is exactly how the woman with the issue of blood who we're reading about feels. The Bible says that for 12 long years she's been sick with this disease. The Bible doesn't even give us a name. 
She doesn't even have, the Bible doesn't give us a name. She's identified by her struggle. She's identified by her issue. She's known for that. But then Jesus pipes on the scene and he does what Jesus does and he reminds her of who she really was. She reminds her that she is a daughter. And I want to tell you today, my friends, I want to remind you that you are not identified by your issue. You are not identified by your struggle. You are not identified by your situation. You are not defined by what people say, by what society says, by what culture says. You are defined by who Jesus says you are. And that is a son, that is a daughter, that is a child of the one true king. You, my friends, are a child of God. You are. You're a child of God. And as I close today, I want to leave you with this. Is that the truth is, is that your true identity is found in who Jesus says you are. Your true identity is found in who he says you are. Thank you guys so much. Love y'all. Wow, wow. That was amazing. That was amazing, Mauricio. All right. What's up, everybody? I am going to be bringing you a word today from 1 Corinthians 16. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible. If not, it's on the screen. So here we go. It says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. And the point of truth that I want to bring out from this, bring to life, is that faith overcomes fear. Faith overcomes fear. Every time. It's simple as that. And, you know, I would love to stand up here this morning, especially, you know, as a Clark and kind of being known in the church as somebody, you know, I wish I could stand up here and be like, tell you a story about a time that my faith overcame my fear. But, unfortunately, that's not what I'm going to do this morning. So I'm going to tell you probably the only embarrassing story that I have so far up into my adult life. I've got a few from when I was a kid, but this one's my fault. The rest of them, I was a kid, you know. Those ones don't really count. So, um... And it took place not too far from here in a little town of Cristobal, Texas. So if you know Cristobal, Texas, you probably know that there's a river there. And they've got rope swings and swimming, food and family. It's a good old time. So I'm out there with some of my friends last year or two years or so. And we're just having a good time. They're climbing up the trees and jumping off. And um, so we find this platform across the way. And so everybody's like, hey, let's, let's go over there and jump off. And I'm just like, sure. So we, we swim on over to the other side. And this platform is about six feet up off of, off of the water. And everybody's just running and jumping off. And they're climbing up in the trees. You know, our West Texas kids' roots, you got to somehow find a way to get higher and show everybody else off. So everybody's just jumping off of everything. And I'm taking pictures and taking video. I've got my GoPro going. And they're like, oh, hey, Brooklyn, like, you should come up here and, and jump off the platform. And I'm like, um, yeah, sure, you know, like, I don't want to say no. So I'm like, ah, okay. So I get on up there. I find my way up to the platform and pause. What a lot of these people didn't know is that I am terrified of heights. And not just the very, very top heights, but, like, <laughs> ladder heights. Like, if this stage was a little bit taller, Heights. I'm scared, scared of heights. So I get up there. These people don't know this, except for my siblings, and they're all just like waiting for me to actually pull this off. So I'm sitting there, and they're like, okay, go. So I go up to, I go all the way up to the edge, and, and I stop. And I'm like, nah, 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 not right now. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna chill back. I'm gonna watch your form. Like, go, I'm gonna watch you. Go ahead. So I hang back and some more people jump off, and I try it again, and I get all the way up into the edge, and I'm looking down into the water. I can see my reflection, and I'm like, nah. So I get back, and then I get up the courage, and there's this little kid, and she's sitting there with me, and she's like, all right, let's go together on the count of three. One, two, three, and we run up to the edge, and she flies off this little eight-year-old, and I'm, I'm standing there watching her splash in the water. And the thing is, the thing that makes this so silly is that I knew that that platform wasn't about to give out on me. I knew that there weren't sharks in the water. I knew that there weren't anything in there that was going to hurt me. That six-foot drop wasn't going to break my arm. But I still didn't jump. I still didn't do it. So, <laughs> sorry. I still didn't jump. 
And the thing that I want to encourage you this morning is to not do the same thing that I did there. Don't let your fear cripple you from the joy that God has in store for your life. Because the truth is that fear would love nothing more than to, than to keep you from taking the leap of faith that God is calling you into. Just like our verse, 1 Corinthians 16 says, be courageous. Be courageous. Because why would God call you to be create, <laughs> to be courageous if there was nothing in this world holding you back? There are things in this world, fears in this world that you know that are holding you back. But your faith is stronger because your faith in God, in the word of God, will overcome your fear every single time. And I promise you, I promise you that every time you take a step in your walk and in your faith with God, you will find yourself knowing God better and trusting him more. Thank you, you guys. Have a blessed Sunday. Goodness. All right. That's hard to follow up. All right. Good morning. My name is Quattro, and today what I want to talk to you about is that God's priority with you is a relationship, not your behavior. And so to, to prove this, we're going to go into my favorite chapter in the entirety of the Bible ever, Acts 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You see, the Jews had been taught their entire lives that their standing with God was entirely reliant on their behavior and their adherence to the law of Moses. Everything they did, everything they ate, everything they said was a contingent factor as to whether or not they made it into heaven. So Paul and Barnabas disagree. They say that's not right. We know that's not true. And they debate and they argue this topic and they say, well, look, let's go down to Jerusalem and let's talk to the elders and let's see what the consensus is. So they go down to Jerusalem, and when they get there, they maybe kind of forget what they were supposed to be there for because they get so excited, and they say, look, guys, people are getting saved. Lives are getting changed. Jesus is touching people. This is amazing. And once again, some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. Now, I have never been in a church where an altar call included circumcision. I hadn't happened yet. Praise the Lord. But if we think about this for a minute, doesn't this sound just a little bit familiar? Well, if he's saved, how come he can't get his act together? If, if she loves Jesus, then why does she show up to church dressed that way? If I love Jesus, how could I have said those things? How could I have spoken to my children that way? How could I have had those thoughts about my friend? It's, it's really difficult sometimes when we start superimposing our behavioral standards onto others and then even harder onto ourselves. See, in seventh grade, I had a teacher. Now, let me preface this by saying, as a kid, and I still do, I love science. I love learning how the world works. I love it. It's awesome. I'm not saying this person was insane. But if, as a Christian man, ever given the opportunity to pray for her deliverance, I'm hoping there's a big herd of pigs on hand. That's all I'm saying. Um, it was like a gulag in there, okay? Like, I'm not kidding you. If you set a you stepped on the wrong tile, you know those old linoleum tiles that we all had in high school? You stepped on the wrong one, you got yelled at. And if you stepped on two of them wrong, you got thrown out of the room. It was obscene. And I left that year, there was no love for science fostered in me. The, the, the love of, of learning how, you know, ecosystems worked and different animals all around the world, all of that was gone by the end of that year. And all I knew was that I hated seventh, seventh grade science. So, Paul and uh, Barnabas, they arrive... And the council, they discuss it, and they say, look, guys, we are giving them this standard that we can't even keep. 
We're giving them a standard that is doing nothing but making them hate everything that we stand for and the values that we know are important. Why are we burdening them this way? And Pastor James, oh, Pastor James, one of my, my favorites, he says this. He said, in the letter, he says this. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immoralities. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. I want you to notice something. Do they say keep from these and you will be saved? They say keep from these things and you will do well. Why? Because they understand that giving us guidelines is important. Those guidelines are good for us, right? You don't want to eat something that's been sacrificed to an idol because other people touched it gross. You don't, you know, there's lots of good reasons not to drink blood and sexual immorality is obvious. They understood that modifying your behavior is secondary to what God wants for you. They understood that how you act is secondary, completely secondary to what your heart feels for God and to what God's heart feels for you. Because they understood that if you love God and you know he loves you, then day by day, little by little, minute by minute, some of us step by step, eventually your behavior will inherently reflect your love for God and his love for you. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to jump right in. Today, I'm going to be preaching out of Proverbs 27, 17. I can just get that open. Now, in Proverbs 27, 17, it says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And the point of truth that I would like to get across to y'all today is that the right relationships will make you sharper. All right. Now, in my family, when you turn 12, you start a nice little year-long journey of becoming an adult, okay? So when you're 12, you don't want to become an adult. That's the last thing on your mind, am I right? So there's me, I'm 12, still sound like my mom on the phone. Like I hang up and I'm like, bye, and then I hang up. Like still sound like my mom. And I'm asked to interview 12 grown men and ask them what it means to be a man of God. So I'm sitting there. I'm interviewing them. I sit down with my little notepad, and I have my questions. And I'm like, um, uh, yes, um, what's it mean to be a man of God? And they are just dropping, like, these knowledge, like, bombs, like, on my life. That 12-year-old me was, like, it was just, like, right over my head. Not just because I was short, but I just didn't get it. And so I'm, like, trying to, like, understand it. But, like, fast forward to the present. I'm 19 now, and what 12-year-old me didn't realize that I'm not realizing now is that those men were sitting there sharpening me carefully, giving me a defined edge. And I was also realizing that those people that you let speak into your life and give you wisdom will determine who you become into the future. Because I can tell you that 12-year-old me then was not looking at 19-year-old me saying, I'm going to be a Bible college student. Because that's like super popular when you're 12, right? No. But because I went through that process and I was carefully sharpened by those men, I am where I am today. Thank God. All right. Now also... In this process, there's the party, all right? And you give a speech, and then there's the gift. And for guys, it's a sword. Now, this sword, it's got a lot of personal meaning to me. You know, I went through a lot of things I didn't want to do to get it. And, I mean, just aesthetically looking, it's pleasing to the eye, right? I mean, it's got the cool blade. I mean, it's got some details. It's got a handle. I can swing it. But this is not the weapon that I would choose in a battle because it is not sharp at all, okay? We've tried, it's not, all right? But the cool, the cool thing about when a sword is going through the sharpening process is that it's been taken to a grindstone. And when relating that to like relationships, that sounds scary. Like, let's go to the grindstone. No, that's not something I wanna do. But they add oil to the process. So it makes it a smooth and enjoyable thing so that the finished product is something that is sharp and useful and it's just freaking awesome. So 
in, in our relationships, in our relationships, the Holy Spirit is that oil. That without him in that process, it is a scary and it is a frightening process. But when he's added in, it becomes a smooth and enjoyable one. That in the end, the finished product, it's useful and it's beautiful. Now, I do have a second sword here. And this one, it's got a lot of the same features as the first one. It's got a blade. It's got details. It's got a handle. But this this one's the one that I would run to. Like, if I was in the Hunger Games, I'm going for this one. Because this one is sharp. All right? In life, do not be the first sword. The first sword is just a mere decoration of what it was meant to be. Do not just look like what you're supposed to do, but start being what you're supposed to do, guys. Go through that process of being sharpened, okay? Surround yourself with people that are going to sharpen you with the best way and add the Holy Spirit to make it enjoyable. Get into small groups and surround yourself with those people that are going to help you get sharper. This all brings me around to my initial point that the right relationships will make you sharper. Thank you. Hey, good morning. My name is uh, Lauren, obviously. Some of you know me as Joe. But hey, I have one point, and I have one point only, and I've got four minutes, 30 seconds to get it to you. If you are in love with Jesus, the world will know. Okay? So let's go to John chapter 15, verse 4. John 15, verse 4. I've done a lot of youth ministry, a lot of kids ministry, so I like a little bit of participation. So with that being said, help me finish this. The stars at night are big and bright. Yes, awesome. That's awesome. It's a bit random, but we'll get it later, okay? So let's read John chapter 15, verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you, point to your neighbor, say new. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I stand here, 31 years old, grew up, lived in Texas all my life. I should be 100% Texan. And I know the lingo. I, I know the language. That's the same thing. I know the mannerisms. <laughs> I know a lot of the Texas hold the door, all those different things. And it's been about five years that I've grown this strong connection to my West Texas route. Um, obviously, it's in the heart of Texas, and I've bought about six or seven shirts online on this Texas store. It's really weird. It's an addiction I have now. And, and I'm on, on, on Amazon and Nike trying to find some Texas Nike shorts. I just think it looks cool. I'm proud to be Texan now, right? So about a year, two years ago, I went to uh, New York City, got off the plane, and I quickly realized I was not in Texas anymore. Um, they just do a little things a little bit different in New York City. For example, we went to a restaurant called Grey Dog, and it's a sandwich place, and you put your order in, you go find a table, they call your name. So this guy, he called my name, and I walked over and grabbed my sandwich. I'm like, thank you, sir. And he looked at me like, why are you talking to me? I'm like, okay. So we finish shopping, and I mean, we finish eating, we get on to shopping. And so we go, and I, we're coming up on a store, and, and I notice that there's a group of people behind me. So, West Texas Roots, I go over, open the door, wait for them to pass. Then I go through the door, and while they're passing, they're looking at me like, what are you doing? This is, why are you holding open the door? I have arms, I can do it myself, right? So, they're looking at me, but one of my favorite interactions at, in New York City was we were on Fifth Avenue, and we're walking these streets. And in New York City, most everybody has headphones in, and if you don't bother them, they're not going to bother you. And so, we're walking down there, and... I look up, and me and this guy are on a road to collision if one of us does not move out of the way. So, again, West Texas route, what's the polite thing to do is I turn over, he comes on and I said, excuse me, sir, sorry. Like, and he looked at me, and he's like, you must be from Texas. <laughs> and at that moment, my West, deep West Texas route popped up and said, yes, sir, I am. See, I'm here to tell you that people should recognize where you have been, what you've gone through by the way you talk and by the way your, your actions are. John 15, 4 said, if you remain in him, we should be bearing fruit. When we switch our focus from our everyday living to living every day with God, when you put him in the front, in the middle, and the end of your life, things will begin to change. 
So my point was, if you are in love with Jesus, the world will know. But I have a little bit more time left, so let's break this down just a little bit more, okay? I'm going to input things here. If you are in love with Jesus, your annoying neighbor will know. We all have that person when you're going up to your door and you stay in your car a little bit longer because you don't want to have that conversation or you duck down, pull the seat all the way back so they don't know you're there. We all have that person in our life. Do they know you love Jesus? Do they know you love Jesus? Let's, let's come back a little bit closer to home. If you are in love with Jesus, does your nosy coworker know? Mm-hmm. Tomorrow morning we're all going to go to work, and we all have that one person that we're just like, oh, please don't talk to me, please don't talk to me, and walk away. Do they know you are in love with Jesus? Do they know that, that, a per- that you worship a God that has changed your life for the better, that you don't dread your life? Do they, do they know that? And one of my last things I want to tell you today and encourage you to do, that if you are in love with Jesus, does your family know? We all have people in our family that are not walking this everyday life of Jesus. You could be that person. You can be that person. I love a quote by Mother Teresa when she says, preach the gospel all the time, but when necessary, use words. When we're in love with Jesus, our whole world changes. So today, let's be so in love with Jesus, the world knows. Good morning, Celebration Church. If you're in the front row, please be careful because I might have a rainbow of throw up. I'm not sure. Anyways, here we go. Today, I want to discuss how we can claim our peace in the storm, in times of trouble. So uh, real quick, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark 4, 37 through 40. But be quick about it because I guarantee you the person next to you is going to be judging you on how fast you get there. And they'll know you don't read your Bible. So anyways, let me set this up right quick. Jesus is doing some pretty awesome Jesus things. He's uh, healing people left and right. He even heals the mother-in-law of Peter. And she does what all women should do uh, when the man enters the house. Uh, She got up and started cooking. So um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I do all the cooking. So uh, anyways, let's just jump right in. Jesus says, he goes, uh, let's get on the boat and cross the lake, and then we lead here. But, a, but soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. But Jesus, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. What a perfect representation of what faith in a, or, or peace in a storm looks like. But then you have uh, the disciples. And the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, they were focused on the wrong thing. Uh, When I was younger, uh, we took a trip to Six Flags and my family's here, so... uh, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag on this story. But anyways, uh, we were waiting in line. It was a hot summer day, so we're drinking plenty of water, plenty of fluids. And we get, finally get on the roller coaster after waiting eight days in line just to get on the dang thing. And, and, and so we get to the top of the roller coaster. We're up there. We get to the top, and I finally notice that uh, all this water needs to come out, and my bladder is full. But... Then uh, we go, and it drops, and now I'm focusing on just trying to grab onto something because I'm scared. And so my focus goes from my bladder to bracing myself. And all of a sudden, you know, we go down, and, you know, there's a, 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 we just finally stop. And, and my sister says, hey, what happened? You know, because uh, we look down, <laughs> and there's a big puddle of water <laughs> sitting there. Um, and, and the people behind us thought it was a water uh, park or something because it was just going everywhere. I'm sorry. And anyways, what had happened was I shift my focus from one thing to the other. And see, this is exactly what happened to the disciples. 
they shift their focus from, from uh, Jesus to the storm. Why are we still laughing? I trusted you guys. Anyways, this is exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to shift our focus away from God because he understands that when we do that, we're shifting our focus away from peace. See, and what happens is when we sit and our focus is gone, we sit and we drown in our emotions. And what happens is we make decisions out of these emotions. And sometimes, you know, this is why happy uh, marriages end in divorce. This is why people who loved each other once before just stop talking. This is why people leave the church. So how can we shift our focus from the storm to God? Thank you, Mauricio, for asking that question. I appreciate it. It helps me in my, in my sermon here. So let's just go into Psalm 77, 7 through 12, a psalm of Asaph. And he shows us how we shift. But first, has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The most high has turned against me. Does this sound familiar? Jesus, don't you care we're going to drown? Don't you care? Does this sound familiar? But let me show you his shift in focus. Here we go. 11. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. See, when we shift our focus to what God has done, every single one of you guys has a God story. God has stepped in and saved you from whatever it was. See, this is what we need to do. We need to remember when God has stepped in and we can carry that to our next storm. You know, Jesus promises us that we will face trouble, John 16, 33. But we can control. We can control, okay? My bottom line today is peace comes when we remember who God is and all he's done. Okay? And I want to leave you with this, guys. And listen here. We can't control the facts that troubles will enter our life. We can't control that. But we can control how we respond to them. Thank you, Celebration Church. I love you guys. Hi, good morning. So I'm going to start by taking you to a passage of Scripture. If you'll go with me to Galatians 5.13. So Galatians 5.13 tells us, You, my brothers and sisters, were chosen to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The title of my five-minute message is called Service Check. But first I'm going to tell you about my two favorite people. One, easy Jesus. Two, is my grandma. My grandma is the cutest little lady you will ever meet, and I hope you all get to meet her one day. She is about this tall, Mexican, and a spitfire. Now, my grandma for several years was an activities director at a nursing home. She would plan bingo, plan karaoke, plan the holiday festivals. But the thing that inspired me most about her was her connections with each of her individual residents. She was so personal. She would go to each of their rooms, help them hang up their decorations, asked them if they needed haircuts. She was personal. She loved them, and she served them well. So I knew this service, this genuine service, and her genuine love for people was real about three weeks ago. My grandma's retired now, and I got to go on a road trip back to her hometown of Crystal City, Texas. It's super small. We find our way into this Mexican bakery, and there's only four of us in there. But she is buying cookies and pan dulce by the dozens. By the dozens. And I ain't no mathematician, but I didn't know where all these cookies were going. We get back into the car. She hands me some baggies. Don't ask me where they came from. And she said, start dividing them. I said, yes, ma'am, you don't question grandmas. So I started dividing them into these individual baggies. And she said, okay, let's go. I got to go take them to all of my friend's house. 
this lady loves people so much. And there's nowhere for her love to go than to serve other people. Now let's go to Galatians, back to Galatians. This message was written by Paul to the Galatians. What was happening was the Galatians were, were following each of the laws to the T. They were on this spiritual perfection kick. They were checking him off their list, and Paul just wanted them to take a step back. What was happening was is their bondage to the laws produced a competitive, it produced an angry and a judgmental, a judgmental spirit. He told them, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. He wanted to remind them that they were a little bit low on something. They were a little bit low on love, that serving people and following these laws wasn't about another checklist. It wasn't about another, a good highlight on your resume application. It wasn't, it wasn't about that. They were low on love, and they were in need of a service check. So my grandma, here's the deal with her. She serves from the overflow. She's not confined to a job description. In her heart, I honestly think she never worked a day in her life. In her heart, she wasn't working. She was responding. So I want to ask you, it's time for, it's church, church time right here, church. It's time for a service check. Are you restricted within the walls of your own job description? Are you working to work? Or are you trying to climb up the ladder? Are you trying to get the employee of the month? Are you ready for that big time raise that you and your family desperately need? I really hope you are. I really, you better be. But I hope you're doing it from a place of responding rather than working for it. The thing was, the big picture is, is Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice through the most historic expression of love for you. And that is a reason to respond. A sacrifice worthy of our hand claps, our hallelujahs, our praise the Lord. Jesus' sacrifice, his freedom that we are now living in is a reason to respond. Our heart for serving begins by seeing how Christ has served us by freeing us. And we get to experience this freedom every Sunday when we walk in those doors. We praise and we worship. We fellowship. And Pastor Brandon gives us a word again and again. Jesus Christ's love for us can overwhelm us and overflow us if we recognize and are open to a life free in him. So what do we do with this overflowing love? Where do we go with our overflow? I would tell you right now where my grandma would go with this overflow. She would go to her cup cabinet, open it up, and start pouring glasses to serve everybody. The thing is, right now, in this room, there are cups overflowing. Right over here in this section, we need a mop because they are overflowing. Right over here, we need some wash rags because we're overflowing. What are you going to do with your overflow? I'll tell you right now that there are coworkers at your work, your bosses, your patients, your employees. They are thirsty. I'll take it a step further. There are babies in that nursery right now. There are kids in kids' church. And there are strangers walking through that door every Sunday, and they are thirsty. What are you going to do with your overflow? We are free, free indeed. And it is a reason to celebrate. It is a reason to express ourselves by responding, not by working. We're not going to, it's not for that merit. It's not for, look, this is what I do at church. I serve. It's a response. It all begins by seeing service as a duty. It's not by seeing service as a duty, but as a response of love to who Jesus is. The bottom line for my message today is love is motivated by the joy of sharing our fullness and our freedom. Thank you. What's going on, Celebration Church? I'm so glad you guys are here, and I'm so excited to be up here preaching. Um, I'm going to be talking about compassion this morning, and I'm going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 25, so uh, let's dive right in. Here we go. Then the Lord, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came 
to visit me? Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, truly, I tell you, what you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. As Christians, we have a calling. We have an obligation to be compassionate. <clears throat> when I first got my driver's license, uh, it was a cold, rainy January morning. And it was so cold, in fact, that the ice was, that the roads were iced over. And I remember I was running late to school, so I hopped in my truck. I put the pedal to the metal. I started booking it. I was going so fast. I was drifting around every turn, Tokyo Drift style. My, my inner Vin Diesel came out <laughs> that morning. I have never driven so fast in my life. So I was going, I came to a stop sign a few blocks away from my school and I slammed on the brake and I was sitting there waiting for the traffic to go and I was like, come on, let's go, I gotta go. And so I look out my window and I see this girl standing on the street corner with no jacket on, drenched, shivering. And I remember thinking, I need to get out and give this girl my jacket right now. I need to, I need to help this girl. I need to make her feel warm. I need, to, I need to take my jacket off and give it to this girl. But then I thought, mm, I don't want to give this girl my jacket. This is my favorite jacket. I paid 60 bucks for this jacket off Amazon. I do not want to give this girl my jacket. I don't want to get out there in the rain and get wet. I don't want to be late to school. So I missed my chance to make an impact. Don't miss the opportunity to make an impact on someone. Sometimes in order to show compassion, you have to leave your comfort zone. Instead of being focused on what was important on this girl, I was focused on myself, and I was focused on my own discomfort. Folks, I'm here to tell you today, if you want to make an impact, you have to take the focus off yourself and put it on other people. <clears throat> compassion requires action. It's not enough to just feel bad for someone. It's about what you do. It's not about how you feel. Compassion without action is meaningless. Compa action leads to reaction, which leads to a chain reaction. When you, when you act out of compassion and you show love to someone, that person becomes impacted and that person starts impacting other people. And it's all because you decided to act out of compassion. Bottom line this morning is compassion impacts people. If you really want to change the world, if you really want to make an impact, if you really want to make a difference and grow the kingdom of God, it all starts with one act of compassion at a time. Our number one mission as Christ followers is to love people. Our number one priority is to love people. And one of the best ways to do that is by showing compassion to those in need. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to Go ahead and start out by reading you my piece of scripture. I am reading Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, when I first read this verse, something that really stood out to me was the word wherever. Now, when you think about wherever, you're like, think about a time when, you're, when your mom's like, where do you want to go to eat? And you're like, oh, wherever. But really, you don't want to go to Roses. You don't want to go there. And so your mom's like, okay, let's go to Roses. Well, guess what? God is with you wherever you go, even the places you don't want to go, like Roses. Huh. Sorry. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about a time that God was with me, even whenever it felt like he wasn't. So about a year ago, my sister Brooklyn and I were at the mall, and we were looking for a birthday present for one of my best friends. So we're looking around at the stores, and I kind of noticed this guy behind me is following us in every store that we're going to. And, you know, he's kind of standing, you know, over here, like, checking me out. And I'm like, okay, like, can't really blame him. So, you know, I don't really call attention to it. So then... We're, we're going to the next door. We're going to the next door. I notice he's, he's following us to the next door. So I'm like, okay, like, he's, he's still following us. Like, we, we need to go. 
So I tell Brooklyn, I'm like, okay, this guy's kind of following us. Let's go in here to see if he goes in there. So we go in there. We're looking around for a little bit. He kind of wanders off. So I'm like, okay, I don't really need to worry about him. Then we're leaving that store to go across the mall. And I'm a little bit further behind my sister. I'm, I'm texting my friends about the details to the party. I'm like, yo, where it's at? And so I'm on my phone a little bit further behind, and he comes up to me, and he is standing right next to me, and he gets in my ear, and he whispers a little something in my ear. And in that moment, I started panicking. I was like, okay. I ran to my sister. I grabbed her. I was like, we need to get out of here now. This is not safe. This is not okay. So he's following us across the mall. So we go to this store, and it has big windows in the front. And so I'm like, we need to be by the window. So if he tries anything, then we can be right there where everyone can see. So we're looking at the backpacks in the store, and I'm like, oh, I like this one, I like this one. She's like, yeah. And so I'm panicking, I'm crying, and one of the employees comes up and is like, hey, we have some more backpacks over here. She noticed we were uncomfortable. We did not know this guy. And so uh, he kind of stays over by where we were, and uh, we're behind the counter, and I'm crying. I'm like, Brooklyn, call dad now. Call dad, call one of our brothers. They need to come and help us now. So we're calling, we're calling. They're like, okay, we're on our way. We're at the house. It takes a little bit of a drive to get from the house to the, to the mall. So we're over there. We're crying. They go and tell one of the security guards that he's harassing us, won't leave us alone. He says, sorry, can it, there's not anything I can do about it. You know, like, you're on your own. I'm crying. We're praying. We're freaking out. And, and so there was a time where I was just like, I, we are so alone. There was no one here to protect us. So we're praying, we're praying. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, we were so alone. This is going to be so bad. And I turn around to see him, and he's walking back and forth past the cash register like this, watching, watching us. And he's going like this, like this. And I'm like, Brooklyn, he's not leaving. We cannot leave. He's not going to let us leave. So we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. I turn around, and he's walking out of the door, and he leaves. And I'm just crying, and my dad and Weston come a little bit later, and they help us to the car, and I'm still freaking out. The thing is, is that in your world, you are well aware of the fear in your life. But God is with you wherever you are, even in your times of fear, even in your times of where you feel like you're very alone. God is with you. You, think, you see, the thing is, is that we all have creeps. It may not be a creepy guy following you around in a mall, but there are things that creep in on you, like fear, like anger, depression, confusion. Those things creep up on you, and they don't, they don't let you leave. They won't let you exit until you call on the Father, and you know that he is there and that you are not alone. My bottom line is, God is with you wherever you are, wherever, here, there, in the parking lot, at your house, at the mall, at Rosa's, he is with you. So never forget that. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. You guys act like you've been blessed. <laughs> Lordy. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have the microphone in second service, so I get to take as long as I want. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about your worth and your value. My name is John. Uh, it's not obvious. Um, if you don't know me, you're about to because... I like creamer in my coffee with a little bit of sugar. When I drink it in the morning, it reminds me what I live for. Sella, 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 brace it. No, I'm kidding. You're not going to know me from my rapping. I'm just going to preach, all right? Golly. Cardi who? I'm kidding. All right, I'm going to make this quick. I'm going to drop this message like I dropped out of college real fast, okay? I'm going to reference one story in Scripture, something we all know and love. If you've been in church any amount of time, you'll probably be a little familiar with it. It's in Luke 15. Uh, it starts in verse 11, and I don't know when it ends, but it's a story about the prodigal son, all right? Uh, you know it, you know it. 
And so I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. You can look it up in your own time if you want to get, get real deep into it. But um, anyway, you have this son. He has a bro. Uh, I don't even know if the bro's mentioned at the beginning. But he has a brother and he has a father. And the father's real rich. He has a great inheritance. And the son says, you know what? It's not that I hope you're dead, but I kind of want my money, you know? I kind of want my inheritance. So father obliges. He gives him his inheritance. And the son goes on his way and he blows half the wealth of the father's house He ends up in this place where he's at the lowest of lowest of lows. If there's any lower, he he went there. Uh, He finds himself completely crushed, and and he and he he finds himself convinced that the only place his father's going to take him back is as a servant, not as a son. It never crosses his mind. It's a servant. So he has a shift in identity, and we'll we'll return to that presently. And so anyway, he decides, you know what, I'm going to go back at least as a servant. There's enough food in my father's house for the servant, so I can do that. You know, and, and, and what happens when he gets to the father? The father sees him from a long way off. Don't, get, don't, mm, don't make me preach. Anyway, the <laughs> father sees him. He comes running, and the son has a speech as a servant. He says, this is what I got. If I can be a servant, then what's the father do? He slaps the little sorry servant speech out of his hands. He throws a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and he calls for a party in the back and says, let's throw a party for my kid, not my servant, for my kid. He was dead, and now he's alive. And so I want to pause and do a little story time, right? I went to uh, New Mexico with my little sister. We did a job. It took us about a week. It was awesome. But while we were there, there's a, there's a place called White Sands National Monument, I believe is what it is. White Sands, shout out if you've been there. And it, it, it lives up to its name. It is nothing but white sand, all right? We are out there. We we're having a great time. We we're sliding down the hills. I wish we would have brought, like, snowboards or something because it's just, it's legit. But it's, it's a desert. When you get up in white sands, you, you get lost. You know, it's just so much sand. There is a wealth of sand. And so uh, we had a great time. We got lost a little bit. We almost died from dehydration, but that's beside the point. Um, and we get back to the truck, and what's the first thing you do? Take your shoes off. You're dumping it out. You're getting rid of the sand in places that you never thought sand could exist. And, you know, and it's just there's sand everywhere, right? But there's a wealth of sand, but you don't want it, right? Well, as a carpenter, I've been in construction most of my life. I came home to a remodel, so I was born with a silver hammer in my hands. One of the things that's incredibly valuable to me is sandpaper. It doesn't matter about the sand, really, per se. Obviously, I don't like it. We, we established that. Uh, like Keenan, shout out. No beaches, no sand. But I do appreciate sandpaper. And the point I want to tread on here is that sand doesn't change value because it's in your shoe or it's in the desert or in a sandbox or on sandpaper. Sand changes value according to the purpose that it's serving. And like the prodigal son in the sand, it's not about where you are in life that makes you valuable, that determines your worth. What makes you valuable in God's eyes first is the purpose that you serve as a son and a daughter. God. And you may think that the Father chooses you because of your wealth or out of his wealth, but I'm here to tell you that the Father, the Father chooses you first because of your worth as a son and a daughter. Uh, See, your high highs and your low lows don't define your worth and your value. If you're at the top of the ladder or at the bottom of the ladder or washed up on the shore, beat up, run down, if you're in fragments, you are no more important to God. or no less important to God just because you got it all together, just because you don't. You're important to God first and always because you're a child under, unto him long before you were useful to him. Long before you were useful to him. And I want to encourage you that he deems you valuable because he loves you as a son and daughter. See, my bottom line is this. As a son and daughter of God, no matter where you find yourself, location, uh, beat up, excited, high highs, it's not your location that determines your worth. God doesn't love you because of your wealth or lack thereof. He loves you because of your worth, because you're a son and a daughter. Pastor B, will you close us out? Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.